So if you have a big cushion and you overspend, it's not a big deal. If you have very little financial slack and you overspend, then the consequences can be much more extreme. That's Abby Sussman at the University of Chicago and a clip from my recent conversation with her on budgeting. We've all dealt with budgeting in one form or another, but is there any well-tested advice on how best to budget? And how does it fit into making progress toward longer-term goals like saving for retirement? On today's episode, we get two perspectives on budgeting. To give you a sneak preview, while we all know that keeping track of how much you are earning versus how much you are spending is a crucial part of managing your finances, the importance of the details of the budget, or the lack thereof, may surprise you. Financial decisions are endlessly complicated. There's a whole academic literature that tries to study them and improve them. And of course, there's a whole financial advisory industry that tries to help people improve their decisions as well. But there exists a divide between the two. I'm Pal Hirschfield, a professor of marketing, behavioral decision-making, and psychology at UCLA's Anderson School of Management. And on the behavioral divide, we study that gap and try to figure out what sort of insights can we learn to help people make better financial decisions. My guess is that most of us at some point have thought about budgeting. Maybe we've done it, maybe we've made a spreadsheet or balanced a checkbook or logged into Mint, or maybe we've just considered doing it. Now, I want to stress that heading into this, I had a working hypothesis that stricter budgets would be more essential to long-term financial planning. So I sat down with Lowell Parker, a certified financial planner and a wealth advisor at Merriman Wealth Management in Seattle, to get his perspective. Now, Lowell's been doing this for more than 15 years, so this isn't his first time thinking about these topics. In my conversation with him, we try to uncover how budgets fit into the long-term plan that he establishes with his clients. Today, I really want to talk about the, the budgeting process. Part of what I'm curious about is how you start thinking about getting clients to be more conscious about their spending and their actual budget today so that they can save more. And I think that's that's what it is, right? I mean, it's setting up a financial plan so people understand, well, you know, here's the situation, right? Here we are today. Here's the assumptions that we're making. If you, you know, if it's your goal, like you told me it was your goal to retire by the time you're 60 years old, this is what that means for your budget, right? So if 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 your goal is to retire earlier, here are the levers that you have to pull in order to make that work. And And, and by the way, like, we also want you to enjoy your life today. Like not everything needs to be for tomorrow in the future. So here's the levers that we can pull. And this is what X and Y mean with respect to your ability to retire, with, res with respect to your ability to make work optional. So I'm, I'm curious when it comes to that conversation, um, where do you find that your clients have the most difficulty? Where, you know, where do they really have a hard time saying, Oh, I can do this or I can't, or, you know, where, where do things get messed up there? Well, I mean, it's the instant gratification. I mean, I think that we're all wired to. Uh, and so just, you know, I, I, I think giving people a sense of, you know, really what they can accomplish with their money and hopefully that kind of aspirational ability or that aspirational goal for them to set themselves up well. But yeah, it's hard kind of in the near term when you have these competing demands for your money. Um, I think, you know, specifically, I, the the case that I think it, it, that that I see that is the most difficult is kind of um, a mid career professional, for example. So I I think you know you're 
you're constrained from a financial perspective for sure. You've only got so many resources, but somebody who has two kids, two jobs is running in and out of the door, doesn't have time either. So I think the time element in that specific case can be very difficult. And that doesn't just have to apply to a mid-career professional. I mean, we're all busy, right? And so Mm -hmm. it's not, a you know, it's time is not as quantifiable. I mean, I suppose it could be, but it's not like putting money in your 401k, for example. Uh, But I think time is is a super important consideration and uh, a constraint that we face as well when we're trying to figure out our budget, when we're trying to figure out our plan, so on and so forth. It's so interesting. I, you know, I I didn't think you're going to go there. I thought you're going to talk a little bit more about, you know, categories where people might mess things up. But of course, you're absolutely right that like literally just setting aside the time. to to make that budget and to think about how to 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 consider spending categories now so we can save more later has to be a big part of the equation. So I'm curious how do you grapple with that? You know, what what do you do when you talk to a client and they say, "I don't have the time to sit down and do this sort of thing." What what's the what's the solution there? Yeah, I mean, I I I think and it's it's interesting that you bring this up now cuz I was just having some correspondence with kind of a client who has been meaning to get, you know, all of this information to me. And so and they finally did. Like it took some, some, some pulling and some pushing or whatever, right? But um, I, I think, um, I think that's how we do it, right? It, 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 you know, it, it's just it, it's rearticulating to people the importance of this, right? Your financial health, your financial goals are so important. So, you know, I think what I what I told this person specifically, and, and generally what I'll tell people if they just can't find the time to do this is, well, don't you know, don't forget how important your financial future is, and and by the way. Um, you know, don't forget how important it is for your children and for your spouse and, you know, everybody else that is financially dependent. And we have this great opportunity to get it right because, you know, remember the time is one of your biggest allies in investing in, in, in the markets, for example. So I, so I think it's, you know, you, like you don't want to be overbearing, um, but pushing a little bit and then reminding them, reminding mm-hmm. people, you know, in the case where they engage in a relationship with a financial planner, for example, the heavy lifting that that you're going to do is entirely on the front end, you know? So you're going to take maybe an hour or two and gosh, I know you're so busy, but if you can just carve off two hours, the rest is going to be downhill and we'll help you manage everything. Um, And and obviously that's a specific case where you're working with a planner. You know, if somebody's not, it's a, it's a different discussion and they have to take the onus upon themselves. When you're thinking about setting a a budget and a spending plan, how, how detailed does it really need to be for the client? Yeah, I don't know that I really worry so much about the nuances in the line items of a budget. Uh, for example, I think that the thing that that is really important uh, to me, to, to my clients, um, is looking at the long-term plan and understanding what the savings goals are. And to me, if people are hitting their savings goals, we don't have to worry again about the line items of the budget because if they're hitting their savings goals, we're building the plan and we're going exactly where we want to go. So it's not that we don't have to stick to a budget. It's just being super strict to it may not be the most productive thing. So do you find that there are, you know, certain events or times of the year, especially, you know, after that, after that plan has been made, do you find that there are certain events or times of the year when clients may have a particularly hard time sticking to a plan that they've set out with you or does it does it or does it just kind of ride like once you've done it does it kind of just set you you set it and forget it i'm curious what your experience has been there one of the things that i advocate for very strongly is once we've figured out 
you know, kind of your initial budget. And once we figured out your savings goals, and once you've got, you know, we haven't talked about this, like once you've got your emergency fund set up, right? That's super important, right? Once we've got all these pieces in place, um, you know, I, I don't, I don't know that sticking to a budget it, you know, how critical that if you're hitting your savings targets, mm -hmm. corresponding with your financial plan, to, to, like, to me, that's the thing that matters. And then we pull back into, um, and then we pull back in, into living fully today. As you may have been able to tell, I was pretty surprised about some of what Lowell said. I thought for sure that advisors would be harping on their clients to stick to a strict budget with clear categories and diligent tracking. But Lowell clearly isn't doing that or really even feeling the need to do that. So what gives? Why would a financial planner not be advocating for detailed budgets and tracking each line item month over month? Turns out, maybe because it isn't essential. The natural question that comes up then is, if we have a budget, are there better ways to stick to it? And are we likely to stick to it at all? You heard briefly from Professor Abby Sussman at the start of the show. Abby's done a lot of research on budgeting, so I sat down with her to dive into her findings and to try to better understand what really matters when we talk about this topic. Abby, thank you so much for being here today. Thanks for having me. So you've done some of my favorite work on budgeting, my favorite academic work on budgeting, where you really dig into you know, where people get it wrong, where they might get it right, and what we can do about it. So the first thing I want to ask you is, do we know any sort of numbers on how many American consumers actually keep a budget? This feels like the type of thing a lot of people sort of say they do, but do they actually do it? That's a that's a question. What do you think? Yeah, so I've done some descriptive research on budgeting that tries to understand a bit more about who's budgeting and how and why. And one of the things that we find is that about 65% of Americans report using a budget to manage their finances. And this includes both people who are budgeting formally and people who are budgeting informally. And so some of these people take out an Excel spreadsheet and others uh, just sort of have more of an intuitive gauge. Got it. Okay. I, I have to think that the sort of intuitive gauge may may not necessarily be the best way to do it, but I don't know, maybe that maybe that works for some. Yeah. I mean, I think a lot of it depends on what your budgeting goals are. And so- okay. When you budget, this obviously, uh, people do this to help them with planning. It also is a form of treating money as though it's not fungible. So one of the consequences of budgeting can be that you end up spending more in, in categories that you've allocated more money to, and you end up spending less in categories that you've allocated less money to. But let's say that there's a giant sale happening in one of the categories that you've allocated more money to, you might now just buy more stuff in that category, right? Mm -hmm. So let's say, I think that I should spend $100 on clothing each month. And actually, I don't need $100 mm -hmm. of clothing this month. One of the, the consequences of keeping a really strict budget is that now you might actually spend more on clothing than you than you need to or even than you want to, uh, because you've allocated that money. And so what happens when you create these categories is first off, it's really helpful for planning. But the other thing that that happens is that you create create these somewhat artificial um, goals for yourself. And so it can lead to either over or underspending in a given category. That's super interesting. I, I have to think this must be like a lot of other sort of planning tasks where some degree of flexibility may be better. <laughs> 
uh, than sort of a strict adherence to a pre, you know, predetermined set of categories and expenses and whatnot, right? Yeah, for sure. And so, so one of the things that we find is that there's tremendous variation in terms of the level of granularity at which people, people keep a budget. So some people just say, this is how much money I have for necessities. This is how much money I have for mm-hmm. everything else. And other people are going to create much more form- formal categories of saying, this is how much I have for rent, for clothing, for uh, Halloween candy. For You can imagine budgets getting very detailed. And so people treat budgets very differently. So we, we, we talk about, do you keep a budget or do you not keep a budget? In fact, what we're describing is just a wide variety of behaviors. Got it. Okay, well, so keeping that in mind, um, when it comes to budgeting, however we may describe it there, um, where do people sort of fail to get it right? Where, where do the errors creep in? And, and when I say errors, I mean, what are the things that cause people to um, budget incorrectly or to set up a budget in such a way that they find themselves overspending or not thinking through it or ending up in a situation where they've uh, gone into debt suddenly? Um, where, where do those sort of problems creep in? Yeah, so there's a fair amount of research right now that documents errors in budgeting where people tend to underpredict their future spending, and this can happen for a variety of reasons. Um, so this is something that uh, that I've looked at in research with Chuck Howard, um, Marcel Lucas, and Dave Hardesty. And one of the things that we find is that people tend to base their future predictions off of what they typically spend. And they don't think about ways that their future spending might be different than their past spending. Um, And what that means is, let's say that last week, I spent money on a bunch of things that I usually spend money on. So I spent money on groceries and rent. um, But I also spent money on some really atypical purchase. So I had I spent money on, um, you know, a birthday present for somebody who I don't usually spend money on a birthday present for them. What I'll do is I'll predict for next week that my spending is essentially still it's the rent and still it's the um, grocery purchases that I had. But now I don't think that there's going to be another substitute for the birthday present. I just treat that as nothing um, essentially. And and this is consistent with other research that I've, that I've done with Adam Alter that looks at how we think about spending on exceptional purchases or these sorts of one-off purchases. And we tend to treat uh, atypical purchases or things that we don't usually spend money on as being one time in nature. Uh, and we don't think about ways that while we might not spend again on that specific expense, there's likely to be some other unpredicted expense that's going to take its place. So, okay. So just to make sure I'm under understanding when you say exceptional expenses, you mean expenses that are represent some sort of exception to my normal spending, right? But the irony, of course, is that we may frequently have such exceptional expenses, quote unquote, uh, making them not so exceptional at all, right? So last month, um, I had to buy new tires, and I can convince myself that that's a once in every couple of year, ex- you know, expenditure. But next month, I may have some other expense, my dog has to go to the vet suddenly, that costs as much as new tires, um, but if I keep writing those things off as exceptions, what is what you're saying, then then I end up vastly underpredicting what my budget is. Is that right? That That's exactly right. And so it would be really useful for people to have a category for things I don't usually spend money on and just to observe how much how many how many purchases fall into that category. So what ends up happening is that you can think about um, there's research on, on uh, 
what they call pennies a day by John Gorville, which looks at, you know, if I'm only spending 50 cents on a particular purchase, I round it down to nothing. Uh, and so even if I spend 50 cents every, every day, I don't think about how that very small expense adds up because it's so small, I can just round it to zero. And so what happens in the case of exceptional expenses um, is that, or these sort of unusual expenses, is that I might not factor it into my budget, not because it's a small expense, it might be a large expense, but uh, I just don't think it happens a lot. And so I similarly think of it as just not mattering a lot for my budget, even if it's quite a large expense. Okay, so this is, I, I find this super interesting, and it obviously is suggestive of interventions. And so I'm curious what sort of, well, I know that you've tested some uh, empirically based interventions. And I'm curious, what what do you find actually works for people? Have you actually done this? Have you asked people to think about these sort of categories of exceptional, exceptional expenses? Or how have you how have you looked at this? Yeah, so um, one of the the categories of exceptional expenses that we actually uh, have have run an experiment on looks at the case of birthday presents. Now, this is something that's mm. a little bit mm. unusual, because you might think that birthday presents are something that people buy fairly frequently. And so they should realize that um, this is a category of things that they spend money on. And, and so what we find is that actually prompting people to just think about all of the times that they've spent money on birthday presents over the prior months um, before they choose which birthday present to buy for a friend leads them to choose a less expensive birthday present. And so just getting people to think about uh, particular uh, a particular expense as part of this broader category can lead people to spend less on it. Um, That's great. I, I, you know, having, ha having been on the three-year-old birthday circuit recently, it feels like every weekend we're spending, you know, it, some non-significant, uh, but, but, but nonetheless, um, costly amount of money on birthday presents. Um, and so a question for you, which is that that's a great, that sounds like a great intervention. Is that the type of thing that would work across the income spectrum? Are we seeing this just for certain um, segments of consumers or has that not been tested yet? Uh, to my knowledge, that has not been tested yet. This is essentially, it's a psychological bias and categorization. And so that's something that we wouldn't anticipate would vary across the income spectrum. What I would think would vary are the consequences. So if you right. have a big cushion, and you overspend, it's not a big deal. If you have very little financial slack and you overspend, then the consequences can be much more extreme. Um, That's I, that that makes a lot of sense to me. And you, you know, you said the consequences may not be as extreme if you have a big cushion. In other words, the consequences to your sort of overall financial well-being may not be, but it also may mean that you have less money for other things that you could spend on that may actually bring you more, I don't know, utility, meaning happiness, whatever it may be, than the stuff that you did spend on. And, and as you said, at the lower end of the income spectrum, overspending on these sort of exceptional categories may, like you said, result in more dire consequences. Exactly. Right. And I think that there's there you're raising, I think, very weighty questions around what spending across our lifetime leads us sort of with the greatest happiness. Um you know, it's not obvious that this is an error, particularly for people who do have financial slack. So um, I guess, let me put it a different way. There are two components. So there's this cognitive component, which is where in our brains, the way we categorize information. And so to the extent that we just don't realize that this particular expense is similar to other expenses. So, you know, there's Christmas presents, but then there's also spending money on Thanksgiving dinner. And there's also spending money on July 4th barbecue and on all, sort of all of these different expenses throughout the year. So part of it is like, we just don't recognize the connections. 
So another piece of this, which I haven't done research on, but seems to be clearly a piece of it, is motivational. So maybe it's actually that I also really want to spend money on Christmas presents because it brings me much joy. And so I think that the cognitive piece of it, the piece of it where people actually don't realize how much they're spending, that's something that we should fix. But conditional on realizing that you're spending money, it's possible that people are happy, right? So it's not obvious, you know, are we overspending on exceptional expenses, these sort of unusual expenses, or are we underspending on the ordinary expenses? Mm -hmm. uh, we can say that they're different, mm -hmm. but we can't say that one is right or wrong. And so that's going to depend on sort of your, your, uh, your available wealth and how you want to be spending it. So what should we be taking away from all of this? Clearly, if we're not tracking our spending versus our earnings and savings, it's going to be a recipe for disaster. But how we do it may matter less than doing it at all. Think about what Lowell was saying. Essentially, budgeting is really one of many mechanisms that can be employed by advisors in helping their clients get where they want to be over the long term. And it's clear that how much they emphasize it and its importance is going to depend on the individual client's circumstances. Now, one of the ideas that Lowell was bringing up was that as long as an overall financial goal was being hit, the actual ins and outs of budgeting may be less important. But I'd offer a cautionary note here. Based on my chat with Professor Sussman, her research points to an issue that, if not addressed, could get us off the mark, causing us to stray from where we want to be financially. As an example, we want to consider what our unexpected expenses are and track them over time. The point here is that it may be useful to think about budgeting as a tool to use to help us reach our financial goals, one that we sometimes let operate in the background and at other times attend to with stricter attention. All right, thanks so much for listening today. I'm, I'm curious how you feel about budgeting. We've got an email address in the show notes, so drop me a line and let me know what you've found works and what doesn't work when it comes to budgeting. You've been listening to The Behavioral Divide, brought to you by Avantis Investors. This material has been prepared for educational purposes only and is not intended as a personalized recommendation or fiduciary advice. It is not intended to provide and should not be relied upon for investment, accounting, legal, or tax advice.